Constellation, Episode 7, Hip Priest. Naima is looking for Mahmoud. He's not on the roof. He's not in the kitchen. Or in his office. He's not in the staircase. Not in the hallway. Mahmoud isn't there. Then she wakes up 
She went back to sleep after having eaten just before dawn. She's not very strict, not very good with Ramadan. But at the moment, the rhythm it imposes on her life is very welcome. It's just really hard to do it on your own, she thinks. This weekend it's Eid al-Fitr, and then it'll be over. Lockdown is easing too, here in Madrid, but she's still stuck. She won't be able to travel up through France yet. She leans back in the bed and daydreams about Mahmoud and the day they'd first met. Naima was walking around the Medina of Fez with Marga. They'd met two young boys who wanted to be their guides. Their French was awful and their English even worse, but they were fun and they knew where to take them. The market, a flour mill, the leather dyeing factory. At the end of the tour, they paid them some dirhams and walked around on their own. They enjoyed getting lost in the labyrinth of alleyways, and soon they had no idea where they were. Suddenly they heard shouting voices, Antedi, Antedi. Two teenagers told them that they shouldn't be walking there. At first, they just ignored them and carry on. But then a stone clattered against the wall. The boys were throwing stones at them. Naima said, right, we're going to go to the police. Mon père chef de police, said one. Kef, put, said the other, spitting on the ground. Suddenly, a door opened behind the boys and a tall, well-dressed man stepped out. He looked at them and at the girls' faces and instantly realized what was going on. Mohammed, Hamid, he shouted. The boys turned, shocked. He shouted at them in Arabic, and they ran off, scowling. Are you okay? he asked in English. Ça va? Oui, ça va, mais merci beaucoup. Tu vous les connais, les garçons? Non, pas de tout. But uh, there's a 50% chance that one of them's called Muhammad or Hamid, so it's always worth trying. I told them I was going to go around to their fathers if they didn't clear off. But are you really okay? They were throwing stones, the little bastards. 
As he came closer, Naima realized that he was quite young. She thought he looked very elegant. Do you know where you're going? This is a dead end, he said. Why is it interdit? asked Naima. Oh, they always shout that at tourists. There's nothing forbidden at all, but it's like a maze here. You know, these are not really streets in a European sense. They're rather the spaces left in between the houses. I'll show you the way out if you like. Please. Do you live here? No, well, this is my uncle's house. I was just visiting. No, no, I live in the new town. Come, it's this way. What are you doing here in Morocco anyway? The girls explained that they'd been working at a youth camp. Oh? Which youth camp? In Tazarine. Wow, he said. Out in the desert. Not with the Yanks then, the Peace Corps. No, we're from the UK. Are you students? he asked. Yes, journalism, said Naima. And Marga was studying politics. Ah, that's really interesting. I'm a journalist too. Really? said Naima. Then maybe you can tell us more about the political situation. No one mentions it. The man lowered his voice. Of course, I'd love to, but not here. Not on the street. That's not a good idea. Look, we're at the market. Do you know where you are now? Yes, yeah. We're staying in the new town too, but we were going to walk through the market a bit more. Look, says the man, if you want to talk... I'll be in uh, Café Claire on the avenue in the centre from about eight tonight. My name's Mahmoud, by the way. She hadn't fallen in love straight away. In fact, she thought that he preferred Margot. But they'd kept in touch afterwards, and she'd gone back to visit a year later. One thing had led to another. God, she missed him, she thought. Now, with him gone, it was all up to her. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mum. How are you? Oh, you know, not too bad. The weather's nice, so I've been walking on the beach. And of course, I can't see anyone. How is it there? Well, says Mary, actually, it's a bit crazy. I was just in town to do some shopping, and it was so busy. There was a queue around the block to get into Primark. The first thing people want is cheap fashion, says Mum. Made by slaves, says Mary. Mary asks about food, making sure that, one, mum is getting food delivered okay, two, she's making the effort to cook, and three, she's actually eating it. Of course, she has to take the answer with a pinch of salt. Mary's mum then gives her a roundup of the extended family news. Mary's heard most of it three times before, but she keeps making the right, oh really, noises, and worrying a bit about mum's memory. 
I wish we could be there with you, she says. Maybe in the summer. The time goes so quick, says Mum. It's almost Whitson. After Mary ends the call, she thinks, Whitson, I'd forgotten that it existed. When she was a kid, she'd been in church often. Her mum, although not particularly religious, loved singing and encouraged Mary too. So she joined the choir. She'd loved church when she was a kid. The light, the hushed friendliness, the way their singing filled the space, the rhythm of the year. Somehow, though, she never trusted the vicar. He was too smiley in an unconvincing way and she couldn't understand the sermons. As a teenager, she started to understand them and to see through to the hypocrisy. She had enough of people pretending to be holy. When she started to study film and got into politics, she'd forgotten all about it, until the nine o'clock service came into her life. The first time she went to St Tom's, she'd taken Carl along with her. It had started when they'd been down the leadmill to listen to a band that Gus was playing in. The band was a bit weird, but that was par for the course with Gus. They stuck around for the DJs to start playing. Mary was in the mood for a dance. She was just getting into the groove when a woman with short blonde hair dressed completely in black started dancing with her. She had black lipstick on which looked a bit strange but Mary thought she was gorgeous anyway. As they were dancing, Mary realised that they were exactly the same height and build. They could have been twins. When the song finished, she leaned into her and said in her ear, You're my blonde twin. 
The woman kissed her on the lips and said, We are now. Let's get a drink. Mary's heart was pounding. She thought, Whatever this is, I'm into it. When they got to the bar, though, the blonde, who introduced herself as B, started asking Mary about her life. Where she came from, what she was studying. And then, Mary really didn't see it coming, she asked, When did you last go to church? Mary laughed, then was worried that she'd offended B. But she just explained about the St Thomas services that they were more like a club, a multimedia experience, that the music was incredibly cool and that she was sure that Mary would just love it. Mary was suspicious, but intrigued, and she really fancied Bee, so she said she'd come. But, she thought, I'll bring someone along with me. She knew that Carl would be interested, he was always into weird scenes. After another snog, B said she had to go, so Mary went off to find Carl. What the fuck's all that around your mouth? he asked, and she realised that she'd still got Boo's black lipstick on her face. What are you doing tomorrow night? Mary asked. Is that a proposition? He said. Yeah, I wanted to take you to church. Ah, fuck that, says Carl. No, really, it's a weird church just up your street. See it as an anthropological exercise. Speaking in tongues with industrial funk music and video. And so they did. From the outside it was a church like any other, but you could already hear the music, kind of Brian Eno meets electronic beats. Going in the door, the first shock was that the place was rammed, and almost only with young people, mostly from their late teens to late twenties. They recognised a few people from going out, and a couple from college. For an altar, there was a table with three double crosses and a huge screen. There were images being projected onto this, a couple of TV monitors hanging on pillars and some other screens around the sides. It was amazing, like stepping into a really hip club. Carl said, Christ, and Mary turned around trying to shush him. They lost each other after a bit, it was so full. It was so white, thought Carl. He was used to the kind of happy, clappy churches back home. 
One of his uncles was big into the Lord, but they were 90% black, Caribbeans and Africans. Some people were talking, some dancing. Mary joined in a bit. There were images of the earth from space, taped speeches about the environment. The band started to play. There was nothing happy-clappy about it. They were really good. Open your heart, break down the walls, they sung. And suddenly, Mary started to feel a kind of tingling feeling, lightheadedness. She hadn't had anything, just a half pint in the pub on the way. Whoa, she thought, I'm not sure about all this. It was so uplifting and she felt a kind of connection with all these people. But at the same time, she was looking at it with the eye of a documentary filmmaker. It would be great to be able to come and film a service, maybe to do some interviews, really a great subject. She'd been looking for something around community, ecology. Suddenly someone took her hand. She turned to see B standing next to her, smiling. And the person has to ask, what are we looking for in life? What are we looking for in life?
standing towards the back, couldn't believe his eyes, or ears. The band were great. The lyrics were a bit crap, though. Vaguely evangelical stuff with a Friends of the Earth tinge. It wasn't his scene, no way, but he was fascinated anyway. It reminded him of nights down the fridge, all the TV screens and projectors. But actually it was the images that turned him off. They were so... he was trying to think... They were so corporate, like TV advertising or something. It was all really expensive gear too. He wondered where all the money came from. He was surprised to see Gus over the other side of the room talking to the sound engineer and some guy with a quiff. No way that Gus was into the church thing. But then he knew that Gus would always be with the music, wherever that was. And then this guy, the priest, or at least he was dressed like one. He got up and started talking about love and the earth and God and inclusion. It was kind of hippie stuff. He didn't even look very cool. Sometimes he stammered a bit, but he had something. And Carl could tell that people were just spellbound under the influence of this guy. He was also ringed, surrounded by sexy women. Carl felt his hackles rise like a kind of defense mechanism as if he had to protect himself, keep his distance. This stuff was weird, and he didn't really understand it. Mary had obviously fallen for the girl with the black lips. He hoped she'd keep her wits about her. The Rev had finished his spiel and was chatting to some people before the band started up again. The guy with the quiff came up to him and pressed something into his hand. The Rev looked at it seriously and nodded his head, patted his arm and turned his back. Quiff smiled meekly and started wandering around aimlessly. Carl had seen enough. He walked out of the noise and the warmth, for there really was a warmth there, he realised, into the cold air. After supervising the clean-up after the service, Chris said he wanted to walk home on his own. He liked having his people around him, but right now he felt he needed to clear his head. The service had gone brilliantly. The band were getting so groovy, he knew they were onto something, 
This fusion of Christianity with environmental thinking and the power of the new music? Every week there were new people. B had turned up tonight with a cute film student. Really cute. But from the way she was looking at B, maybe she was gay. B was playing that ticket again. She could wrap anyone around her finger. Maybe he should try and sleep with her again. Keep her on the straight and narrow. Chris smiled to himself. And then suddenly felt guilty for the thought. He needed to be responsible, not to take things too far. There'd been new guys too, he thought. A tall, good-looking black guy had come along with a film student. Mary, she was called, he remembered. The ginger-haired muso had been checking out the band, and that guy Zed was hanging around again. This time, he'd given him a cassette of his music. He was hustling to be able to join the band. They really didn't need another bass player. But maybe it wasn't a bad idea. Let him play along a couple of times at rehearsal, just to make him feel part of things. Then find something else for him to do. Somehow, though, he felt that Zed was only in it for the coolness. That was one downside of St Tom's becoming so popular. The hangers-on that dragged things down. The trick was to get them involved in a positive way so that they would contribute, that they too could feel the spirit. Then they would change from hangers-on to core members who could recruit like B. And it would just keep growing. Chris knew that he had it in him. He felt it. It was his calling. When he walked up to the altar, when he started to speak to the congregation, he felt the power rising within him. It went up his spine like Kundalini, well, like the Holy Spirit. He really felt he was channeling something. Was it coming from God? He liked to think so. But at the same time, he knew that it was also just ordinary power. Power over the crowd, over women, over people's lives. An ordinary power was something you could lose in a flash. He needed to be careful. Maybe he should really get ordained. The road to the priesthood would keep his impulses in check, maybe. But really, deep down, he knew that it would only make him more powerful. And that feeling made him horny. No worries, he was almost back at the house now. The girls would be waiting for him. Oh, my God.